Escape Pod 347. May 31st, 2012. Next time, Scales. By John Moran. Welcome to Escape Pod, your weekly science fiction podcast. I'm Norm Sherman. This week, Next Time Scales by John Moran. John lives in Manchester, England, has been published before in Flash Fiction Online, and has upcoming stories in Fantastique, Unfettered, and Nature. Check him out at johnmoran.co.uk. The story is read to you by Josh Roseman. So get ready to meld, baby, because it's story time. Next time, Scales, by John Moran. You're too restless, the lizard whispered into my brain. And you've been at the reactor fuel again. Marla slapped her prehensile tail onto the table, cracking its surface with her paralyzing stinger and rattling the chess pieces. The blow echoed through the control room. I hate it when you do that, Stephen. Do what? Think you can read me. I smiled. Your underarm scales are pale, which means a supercharged diet or zero gravity. As we haven't been off-planet, it must be the food. Plus, your breath stinks of sulfur, and your claws have white rings. Marla pointed one crimson eye at the table, but kept the other on me. Your move, she said. Give me time. Why do you think I'm restless? Because you've spent the last three weeks researching Loris, and done each patrol fully armed. I glanced through the window, as if by chance I might catch our thief creeping up in plain view, but all I saw were two huge moons glowering over the ruined planet, its civilization long dead, part excavated and full of secrets. I couldn't let Marla know the sight had me spooked, though. Her people had been hunters for a thousand years, and, through a quirk of fate, she believed in me. Right, I said. Let's patrol. I got most of the way to the door before I realized what the click behind me had meant. And you can put that piece back. Damn, Marla said. The night was darker than usual, but I left off my flashlight and navigated by the excavation's amber glow. After two months, I'd learned the drill pretty well. Walk three steps from the door before turning right. Drop down through the first causeway. Crunch my way over rubble and calcified ferns. Pass beside 3,000-year-old shop windows, then into what people said were the temples of the spider creatures that had once ruled Artemis. As I walked, Marla leapt from one wall to another like a shooting star. She looked beautiful, her scales shining like jewels. Why do you care so much about an urban legend? she asked. Because he's a mystery. For two hundred years, Loris has been stealing artifacts, leaving only the letter L engraved onto the wall. Who wouldn't be interested? He's only human, Stephen. I'm not sure. We didn't have the technology to grow new bodies two centuries ago. So if he's human, how has he lived so long? Marla was silent for a while. Then she said, However good he is, I bet you're better. I walked away, unhappy with false praise. 
Instead, I ducked through the first arch and stepped out below the huge, half-buried alien machine. Next to it, the laboratories and excavating machines looked forlorn and tiny. Forty archaeologists worked here in Artemis's summer, but none had yet figured out what the machine did. Perhaps you regret our melding, Marla whispered, her voice quavering. Not for a moment. Then why do you seek out complications? What do you mean? Loris, for instance. He's just another hunt. So, Marla? Yes? The machine's active. She appeared at my shoulder, scuttled up to the machine, and crouched, eyes twitching in different directions. What had previously been a mountain of dark metal now held a tiny panel that shimmered like oil on water. As we watched, it faded to black. Intriguing, Marla said. Still think Loris is a myth? I think we need to be careful. She left in a blur, dancing up the wall. I crept after her, gun ready, but stopped at the end of the avenue, just as the city opened into a plaza capped by a broken tower. What's up? Marla asked. I sent my mind back through memories of other patrols and compared them to the present. Some people have a photographic memory. I have video recall. It's rare, but it has saved my life more than once. The shadows are wrong. What do you mean? I ran through the images again, spotting a nearby lamp that had been smashed to put an area several meters square into darkness. Something was lying there, dark and still in the shadows, covered in thick cloth. Even as I dragged it into the light, I knew it was a body. An old man, sallow and gray, with slash marks down his face and a stab wound in his chest. His blood had not yet congealed. Loris is here, I said. Marla appeared at my shoulder. So who's that? An accomplice, maybe. Her eyes swiveled upwards. Stephen? What? The lights are going out. I stood. Segment by segment, darkness was falling over the excavations. He must be in the base, I said. About time we found something to hunt. Marla's thoughts murmured low, then turned into alien chanting as she skipped ahead along the darkening walls. I chased after her, the sound of her death song filling my mind. It scared me when she was like this. She was too eager, too ready to put herself at risk. When we reached the base, I saw that the door had been forced, revealing two entrance corridors and a Y, their lights off. I'll go right, Marla said, her voice full of excitement. What if he's in my side? She laughed. Then keep some for me. She shivered and curled her tail like a scorpion before speeding into the darkness. I gripped my weapon and followed. Corridor one, clear, Marla said, while I was only partway down my own, my footsteps clanging along the metal floor, despite my efforts to be silent. Every step threw moon shadows crazing over the walls. When I reached the end, the connecting door opened itself. Why remove the lights, but not the power? Beats me. Reception room one, clear, by the way. My heart beat hard as I stepped into an echoing dome of titanium and plastic, turned on my light, and scanned the walls. 
Our base was a hundred years old and built for far more Spartan times. Now it echoed hollowly, and something scraped in the distance. Sick bay clear, Marla said, though she seemed to be hurrying too much. Despite her confidence, I'd seen her get hurt before. Then I noticed something. The floor's vibrating, I said, moving to the wall and activating the readout. What with? The reactor's been set to self-destruct. Disbelief filled her voice. How is that even possible? What about fail-safes? It was designed to stop other races getting our technology. You mean it's deliberate? What sort of idiot culture builds a bomb into a science base? Who cares? Right now, I have to shut it off. You know, if we hadn't melded, I'd still be hunting on Targol. You nearly died on Targol. Everybody dies, Stephen. The aim is to make it glorious. There's nothing glorious about a bomb. There's nothing glorious about being stupid, either. Please, be careful. Gun held high. I slid into the reactor room with my back to the wall. I didn't think there was anything wonderful about dying in any manner. That was why I'd joined the Explorer Service a hundred years earlier, to get the new bodies they'd offered. Old, young, male, female. I'd tried them all. Little had I known I'd end up having humanity's first contact with the lizards. I swept my flashlight from left to right, trying to be systematic. Given the number of alcoves and chest-high machines, the room could have been full of people, and I wouldn't have known. The reactor terminal stood, exposed, in the center, but it was the only way to stop the countdown. Or to start it, I realized, which meant the intruder was probably in my side of the building. I kept low and began to relax only when I reached the terminal and managed to end the countdown. Then something skittered along the floor behind me. I tried to turn, but it was far too late. Ten years earlier, I'd been late too. I was still in the service because of my rapport with the lizards, and had been partnered with one on her first hunt. It was sold as a getting-to-know-you mission, but tradition said it should be done without technology. After showing lizard after lizard my fingernails, they had finally allowed me one small knife. Targol was hot that month entering the nearest phase of its eccentric orbit, and after being in the jungle for three days, I was glad I'd been argued down over body armor. Then my companion found the first traces of our prey, and her naive eagerness took over. She sped after it, leaving me alone amongst the thin green trees and ankle-deep water, naked except for a knife pouch. When the screaming began, I panicked and fled, only to find myself in the heart of the action regardless. Someone was screaming when I woke this time, too, face down on a cracked floor tile in the flickering darkness of the reactor room. My head ached, pain between my shoulder blades prevented me breathing fully, and my throat burned with vomit. I heard a skittering noise, then more screaming. I rolled over and saw it, facing the wall, dark red scales shining, and eight legs skittering over the reactor room floor was a creature I'd only previously seen in drawings on the alien machine. Although its front two legs looked adapted to tool use, and it carried a green bracelet high on one of them, it drew breath instead and used some internal force to blow a stream of fine grit onto the wall, completing the letter L it had been etching. Two thoughts filled my brain. First, that this couldn't 
be the same Loris who had left footprints on Beta 4. Second, was Marla okay? She arrived in a blur, skipping off two walls and landing on the creature's back before plunging her stinger into its chitinous armor. Incredibly, she failed to penetrate, and instead the creature turned, grabbed her, and hurled her with such force that she snapped against the far wall and left a dent in the metal. She fell and did not get up. The creature advanced, raising one of its second-row legs, tipped with barbs, for a killing blow. "'No!' I shouted, grabbing a back leg, and immediately it turned and skittered towards me like an onrushing asteroid. Now I understood why the arches round the dig had been so broad. The spider was as high as my shoulder, but wider than three humans. I kicked backwards along the floor, waving my hands to show I had no hostile intent.' There's no need for violence. Take what you want. It stopped, and its mouth clicked sideways before speaking. I'm sorry, but I can't let you tell anyone about me. As the sentence progressed, I made out an earth accent and realized how Loris had lived so long. Nowadays, we use enormous hospital ships around the moons of Jupiter, but there's really no reason an alien couldn't make the technology smaller. A bracelet, for example. Was it the machine we've been excavating? I asked, walking closer. Yes, Loris said. Damn gene banks. I turned it on thinking it was a technology store, but ended up bringing one of them to life instead. You thought quickly, body-swapping like that. I am rather proud of myself, but if you'll excuse me, I have to destroy the witnesses. I ducked, and he caught me high on one shoulder, my arm splintering in a flash of blood and pain that took me back to that fateful day in the jungle years earlier. This time I remained conscious, and as he lifted my impaled body off the floor, I groped for the alien bracelet, flipped back the cover, and hit its only button. I expected to wake, looking at my own body through spider eyes. I was even going to be gentle with Loris, take him into custody, and confiscate the bracelet. None of that happened. Instead, I ended on my back, staring at the ceiling with my left side aching. When I tried to stand, I found it difficult, because I now had legs where arms should have been. Also, I was seeing images in two places at once, crazy, confused images that... I focused both eyes to the front. Ahead, the alien spider threw my limp body at a wall before turning to face me. I was a half meter off the floor, dark green, and, something told me, possessed of a strong prehensile tail with a stinger at its end. Even if I lived, I had no idea if Marla would, as she was now trapped in my dying body. To save her, I would have to press the bracelet again, but it was still on the spider. The spider charged, so I leapt for the wall like I'd seen Marla do. Pads miraculously flowered upon my fingers as I ran over the surface just ahead of its onrushing blows. They cracked nearer and nearer, so I leapt to the ceiling, reoriented my eyes, and ran over its bellowing body. The door yawned in front of me as I realized I was faster than it was. I could leave and live to fight another day. The service medics would raise an eyebrow, but give me another body eventually. That wouldn't save Marla, though. Reluctantly, 
tiny heart beating faster than I could believe, I turned back to face the thing. Behind it, I saw my body get up, try to follow, then fall over and throw up. A scream that sounded terribly like Marla hit the air and my mind simultaneously. I'm sorry, I thought back to her. I didn't mean to hurt you. The spider didn't seem to notice as it attacked me at full speed, legs whipping and jaw wide. I spun off the door jam, backflipped from the ceiling, and scuttled down the corridor as the whisper of its barbs skimmed me. This body was amazing. Now I knew how Marla's people hunted so well. I didn't feel so bad about being poor in comparison. Come on, I shouted. I can take you! but the noise came out as a series of clicks. Whatever magic Marla used to speak mind to mind remained a mystery. Ahead, my body rose, then collapsed. Stephen, Marla's thoughts echoed. If this is pain, make it stop. Ten years earlier, I'd turned the corner and ran headlong into a ghoul-like creature holding Marla down and throttling her. More by luck than judgment, I'd plunged in my blade and saved her life. Though its dying blows had mortally shattered my ribcage, I'd won the fight and upheld the honor of humanity. Now, in this body, I knew I'd failed Marla when it mattered most, and anger drove me forwards. I felt exhilarated, too, and wanted only to leap for its face and take it on directly. Even if I died, this creature would pay for hurting her. As I fainted left, a barbed leg whipped past the spot I would have stood upon, but it was so hard emotionally to give ground. It's endorphins, I thought, suddenly realizing just how much this body was pumped up for battle. No wonder Marla was so active if she went through this each time we hunted. Though it felt wrong, I forced myself to retreat, skipping from wall to wall and trying to think like a human." and as I dodged, I ran through the fight in my mind, searching for a weakness. At last, I remembered a spot between its plates that had opened up when it struck my human form. I turned, waited, and ducked down as the spider's leg whistled over my back, ending up underneath the thing. I twisted my eyes frantically, feeling nauseous from the spinning images, but finally found the gap, struck hard, and in the biggest surprise of the day, had something like an orgasm as poison pumped out of my stinger. A minute later, and still quivering with excitement, I struggled out from Loris's still form, retrieved the transfer bracelet, and went looking for Marla. She lay in a pool of blood, and my heart trembled to see her spirit inside my dying eyes. Something white fell from her mouth. A tooth, perhaps. I never realized it was like this. Being you, she said, in part mind-speak, part whisper. As I held up the transfer bracelet, I finally realized something I'd refused to notice in the five years since she'd saved my life on Targal. Whatever strange, wayward, naive spirit inhabited her, it was the one I loved. Although I was going to die, I felt happy, knowing I could swap back and save her. I pressed the switch. At first, the pain was immense. But then, through some unexpected grace, I fell into utter blackness. When I woke, I was completely numb and unable to move. 
I opened my eyes to find eight images of Marla dancing before me, all smiling in that slow lizard way of hers. Welcome back, idiot, she said, her voice gentler than I'd ever heard it before. What happened? I asked, finding words so hard to form I ended up just thinking them. I saved your life, as you would have done had you thought it through. My mind flicked back to that day in the jungle when a young lizard had made the decision to save my life by sharing her own life force the only way she could, leaving us exquisitely and uniquely connected. By melding with me again? We can only perform the mating ritual once, I'm afraid. Then what? She raised her tail and showed me the stinger. This isn't lethal poison. I looked down and saw my new body, already feeling the numbness recede. Eight jointed spider legs ran from the edge of my vision to the floor. Lost in wonder, I raised a long, barbed leg and stared. Loris? I asked at last. She looked away. I put him in your body, Stephen. I'm sorry I couldn't make his death glorious. I extended one leg, then another, skittered sideways before leveling myself. Marla spoke again. Stephen, when I was dying, you had certain thoughts about me. I'm sorry. I... Her skin paled in a ripple from her nose to the tip of her tail. I'd just like to say that it's about time. I stared at her for a long time, then found myself saying, I know. Later, as we walked down the long corridor to the outside world together, the spider and the lizard, I was already wondering what to tell the service about how I ended up in my current shape and I had no idea at all what they were going to make of my next request for a body. And that was our story. Hope you enjoyed. If you did, you can transform that appreciation into donation form if you have the means. You know we rely on your support to fill your ears and appendages with cool stories each week. Drop by escapepod.org and check out our donation options. We greatly appreciate it. Let's go now to our beloved assistant editor, Nathan Lee, to hear what you folks thought about a story a few weeks back. Take it away, Nathan. I think he's finally asleep. His eyes are open, but they're always open. Listen, if you, if you hear this, whoever you are, You've got to help me. I think he sends these off to some kind of radio show. And, oh God, he's waking up. Hey, everybody. Nathan here with the feedback for episode 340, Gulubash, Wineblood War Story, by Catherine M. Valente. The story of an alien world accessible only through an aging wormhole network and the illegal wine and subsequent revolution that were born there. Response to this story was mixed, though edging more toward positive than negative. The writing in this story was lush and sensual, mimicking some of the more egregious wine-tasting descriptions, and that was the source of a lot of the irritation from many listeners. For example, Ace of Wands said, Because I'm no wine snob, not a wine drinker in fact, 
and those who are make me wince, at first sight I recoiled at the possibility that the story was going to celebrate that set of fetishes and conventions. From the other comments here, it looks like some readers didn't get past that initial reaction. As it started to unfold, though, even though the approach was quite arch, I thought the central idea of a capsule history of near-space colonization and war expressed through the fortunes of wine growers and traders showed real style and imagination. In response to plausibility concerns about armed revolt in response to wine tariffs, Electric Paladin pointed out, You know, the climate that started this war did happen in real life. Mercantilism, Britain's early approach to its colonies, states that colonies exist primarily to provide a new market for the parent country's goods to the limits of shipping technology. The taxes that inspired America's revolution were intended to A, prevent American goods from reaching a global market and competing with British goods, and B, keep early Americans dependent upon the British economy for the things they needed, things they could grow in a neighboring colony. And we went to war over that. There followed some noodling about planet-sized lip rings from Iton Z, Electric Paladin, and Max, after which Loraxium closed up shop by describing the dream he had last night, which I think everyone can agree is probably the time to wrap up the thread. That's all we have this week. Jump through our Stargate in seven days for the comments on episode 341, which I think you'll find have a redolent Vienna sausage flavor, spiked with licorice, nutmeg, and just a susan of easy cheese. Thanks, Nathan. So, that's our show, folks. Remember, Escape Pod's a production of Escape Artists Incorporated, and it's produced with the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change or sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Our music is by monster surf rock band Daikaiju. Check them out at daikaiju.org. And our closing quotation this week comes from guitarist Mark Knopfler, who said, If there is a definition of freedom, it would be when you have control over your reality to transform it, to change it, rather than having it imposed upon you. You can't really ask for more than that. 